Welcome to Matthew Felix, the radio episodes, words, and images. I'm Matthew Felix, author of the novel A Voice Beyond Reason and the travel story collection With Open Arms, short stories of misadventures in Morocco. In February 2018, what is now my Matthew Felix On Air video podcast began as an internet radio program in downtown San Francisco. The radio episodes, Words and Images podcast, feature segments from that radio show, in which I converse with writers, photographers, filmmakers, and more. I hope you like the show. And don't forget to check out the current incarnation, Matthew Felix On Air, available here, as well as on Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for listening, and talk soon. Hey, check out my new book, Porcelain Travels, Humor, Horror, and Revelation, In, On, and Around, Toilets, Tubs, and Showers, an Amazon number one new release in four categories, including travel humor, and winner of Gold for Humor in the 2018 Solas Awards for travel writing. You can also check out Porcelain Travel's companion podcast of the same name, which comprises readings from eight stories, including two recorded before a live audience. Porcelain Travels the Book is available in paperback and ebook on Amazon and other online retailers. Larry Haberger is a travel writer, editor, teacher, and publisher who has been covering the world since he began traveling internationally in the 70s. As a freelance writer and syndicated columnist for more than 30 years, his work has appeared in major newspapers and magazines such as the Los Angeles Times, Chicago Tribune, Travel and Leisure, and Outside. In 1993, he co-founded the award-winning Traveler's Tales books, of which he is currently executive editor. Larry has worked on each and every one of Traveler's Tales' 140-plus books, and that probably explains why his eyes are so bloodshot. He's also the editor of The Travel Guide to California and co-founder of the Prose Doctors and Editors Consortium. Larry teaches and coaches writers, emphasizing the art of the personal travel story and memoir, and regularly teaches at writers' conferences as well. Want to know more? Larry's website is Larry Habiger. That's H-A-B-E-G-G-E-R.com. You can also check out the books he's published at travelerstales.com. Welcome, Larry, and thank you very much for being here. It's really great to be here, Matthew. Thanks for bringing me in. Thanks for coming. So there is obviously a lot I could talk about with Larry. And as I've said with regards to some of my previous guests, if this goes well, uh, hopefully I'll be able to convince Larry to come on my show again to discuss some of those things. And one thing I'm really interested in, for example, is the story behind the stories. And what I mean by that is the story behind Traveler's Tales. Um, but I didn't want to, I want to give that story enough time because I'm really curious about that. So today, I was thinking that we would focus on something that Larry has coming up very shortly. Specifically, from March 22nd to March 29, he will be leading a deep travel writing workshop in Morocco, a country where, as I've mentioned in the past, I have had my own share of adventures, which I describe again in all their humorous and harrowing glory in my book, With Open Arms. And as I've already mentioned, I just published the audiobook version of With Open Arms, so please check that out. Um, but today I thought we'd talk with Larry then about his upcoming workshop, about Deep Travel, which is the organization that puts on the workshop, and more generally about workshops and teaching and coaching writers, since Larry has so much experience in those areas. So, Larry, the term workshop, it's sort of a broad one that can refer to a lot of different things. And I, for example, I had never even done a writing workshop in, until last fall. So for people, and writers in particular, obviously, um, who might have heard about workshops, but might not have ever done one, can you tell us a little bit about what exactly a writing workshop is and what someone who's never done one uh, should expect? 
Well, it's a really broad topic, as you say, and there are probably people who, who have very definitive opinions about what a writing workshop is, and I'm not really one of them. Um, you, know, you can go to any major university and get an MFA in, uh, in creative writing, and uh, basically what they do over those two years are writing workshops. Okay. Uh, I, do not, I do not follow any sort of formula when it comes to the workshops that I do, but... Um, in essence, I think a broad definition of writing workshops would be where you get a group of people together, you have a facilitator who is uh, like me, the, the teacher, and people write, they, they take, uh, they take um, writing prompts from the teacher, or uh, maybe the teacher gives a little bit of a lecture and then suggestions on you know, where to start. Um, then you have lots of uh, uh, in-class writing, and then you have outside-of-class writing, and then you come back in and get uh, a fair amount of criticism and feedback from uh, the individual writers so that it's really a way for writers to work together on their, their, on their work and give feedback and give criticism, constructive criticism, and for somebody like me who uh, facilitates matters and... Um, you you can do it in the course of a day. You can you know it can be a, a, a several hour uh, intensive uh, writing workshop. Uh, that I do some of those sometimes. They happen at uh, Book Passage and other places around the Bay Area. Um, you can do them over the course of uh, of a week, like we're doing in Morocco, and you can do them over the over uh, multiple weeks. Uh, you maybe meet once a week, or or you can do them over multiple months, where you meet uh, monthly, like just like basically like, like the writers groups. Uh, you're a member of one or two, I think. That's true. I and, am. Yeah. So I mean, it, it, again, it can be almost anything. But um, again, the the broader view of the writing workshop is really feedback from people, uh, people you admire and respect, uh, you become friends, and you. You read your material for them or they read it, and then you get constructive criticism. And at the end of it, you come out inspired, motivated. Um, maybe you've learned a whole lot, and maybe you've just refined some of the things that you're already doing. Right. So you just touched on kind of my next question. So the, the question was going to be, you know, who should do a workshop? Because I was wondering, you know, the workshop that I did, the one that I said was just the first one I've done, which was last fall, we were all people who already had books in progress. And so the, the, the idea around that workshop was that you came with something that you were already working on, but it sounds like that's not necessarily always the case. It might be what you just described is more people who are going, like you said, it's almost like a class. So they don't necessarily have something in progress, or maybe they do, but they're not necessarily working, about it, working on it in the workshop. And you're giving them prompts. You're, you're sort of providing the content, and then they're developing the, the, the prompts or whatever you give them. So it can, again, it can really vary. It can really vary. Yeah. And, you know, as I say, um, there's a whole wide range of how this can happen. And uh, what you just described is, is one way, and, it's, and it's, a really, it's a really great way when you've got everybody at the same caliber. Um, sometimes what happens if you, you get a workshop going and you've got people who are really starting out and you've got people who are really advanced, and then you've got to kind of finesse that. And, I mean, I... When I say that, I, I don't want to make it sound intimidating. I don't want anybody to think, oh, gee, I don't think I should take a writing workshop because, well, I, I mean, I'm just doing journal entries and all I do is you know, occasional verse when I get up in the morning and you know, I don't think I, that's for me. I, I'd, be, I'd be intimidated. Well, you know, again, if you have a good instructor, teacher, facilitator, that person can take the people who maybe feel like they might be intimidated and, and integrate them in a, in a more advanced group. And it, it really can work very, very well. 
Um, and again, in the case like you have, where you're, you all got books in progress, you're all pretty far along, you've re- really experienced, um, that can be really, really intense and, and, um, and helpful to get feedback from, from people, you know, from your peers, basically. That's what, right. what we're talking about. Right. And so it sounds as if one thing, um, again, if you've never done a workshop, for example, you just touched on, you might have, you might end up in a workshop where you've got mixed levels. But ideally, would, you, would that be a question that you would want to ask before you get into the workshop? Is, is this more geared towards advanced writers? Is this more geared towards people who might be starting out? Or is that not such a concern and you sort of trust that the, the facilitator is going to, to address that and make it kind of well, work for everyone? Well, it, it kind of depends on the venue. It depends on, on the circumstance. Uh, I think ideally you... You get if you have a lot of advanced people, you want to probably, in as much as possible, have just advanced people. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, I said I don't want people to be intimidated, but it but it can be intimidating. Sure. And, sure. And um, depending on the workshop, I'm doing one in in Hawaii on, on the north shore of, of Oahu in in May. Oh, nice. Uh, it's actually a writer's retreat, but the, the, the what I'll be doing there is working just with advanced people. And they all have to have books in progress and they have to submit 10 pages uh, as an application. And I'm not the one who's making the decision. The, Interesting. Um, the Connie Hale, who is in charge of, of this conference, is the Molokea uh, Writers Retreat. Uh, she will be determining which eight people come into this workshop. So you know, there's an example of you've got to, you've got to test in basically. Right. And if you test in, then you're in and everybody should be really high level. And that's good for everyone. That's good for everyone. Right. Both the people who might, and you know, I was just talking, it's funny. I was just talking with a friend. We were remembering, we went diving one time together. This was maybe 10, 15 years Mm -hmm. ago, but we were just beginner divers. Well, our boat, our, our, our beginner's boat got canceled and because there weren't enough beginners. So they put us on an advanced boat. Oh, what fun. And uh, we almost died. <laughs> oh, and God. We d- seriously, I mean, that's oh, a whole other story I'm not yeah, going to go into. Yeah, but that yeah, was, yeah. you know, they were just assuming we knew what we were doing. And this is diving. And oh, yeah. first of all, we went down to 1,000 feet or 1,000 meters, whatever the, the recreational oh, limit is. God. Are you a diver? Well, I, uh, yes. Enough to yeah, know yeah, that I, that is right. I certified in 91 okay, and yeah. have dived about four times yeah. total ever. Right. And, you know, 30 feet, 60 feet, maybe. That's right. plenty for yeah. me. So we went to the limit. Of what recreation and my um, oh my god my um, what's it called weight belt, weight belt yeah was too big, but I didn't know it until I was in the water because when it got wet then it expanded right and so I was diving and again this was my this was probably the first time I dove after getting certified right yeah and I'm so I'm trying to hold my weight belt oh, as we're down at a hundred feet and then as I'm coming back up of course that's when it's really it's really a problem so my friend gets under me and starts positioning herself to catch my weight belt because oh, we're not God. thinking right she's just thinking she'll help me <laughs> and so then I'm trying to explain to her and, and I don't, we didn't know the dive gestures for right. don't don't right. grab my weight belt as it falls because you're going to plummet to the ocean floor oh Jesus uh, so anyway so that's sort of a, a parallel to <laughs> why you want to make sure you know in different situations that you're matched up with the right people and so well, I think me, that's let me put it this way um, getting in the wrong writer's workshop is not nearly so harrowing as your life you is just not described. at risk your life is hopefully not at risk no kidding um although that reminds me of something i was thinking have you ever just because one thing that's that's difficult for a lot of people present company included although i'm a lot better about it now than i was is taking criticism so do you ever find yourself in situations in these writing workshops where someone goes in with the best of intentions and they think they're ready for it and then they're just in tears 
Um, <laughs> the short answer. The have short, you ever no, made no, anyone no. cry? Oh yes, have you all ever the time. Made all cry? the time. All the time. Uh-huh. No, no, honestly. Um, the answer is no. When if it comes to being just driven out because they they don't feel they're they're strong enough or good enough or the criticism criticism is too too tough. Yep. Um, but in my groups, um, you know, there's a joke at the book passage conference. Anybody who takes my morning workshops there. That's they, right. They cry. They, they, somebody cries I on the first day. That. That's right. I forgot about just that. Just about every day somebody yeah. <laughs> cries. Why are they crying? They're not crying because they've been beaten up. They're crying right. because they've been moved right. emotionally by either something that they wrote and, and had to talk about or somebody else wrote and read or, or raised as a subject. And, and that's because you like to focus so much on the personal the personal yes, memoir, the I, personal travel. Right. 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 Okay, we'll get to that later because okay. I want to hear more about that. Sure. But I forgot I forgot that that was, you were known for making people cry. <laughs> I completely forgot about that because, you know, Don George was on my first show and we talked with him about, um, Kimberly Lovato was here and we were talking about how Don makes us cry. And at that book, the book uh, book passage conference last year, which was my first, the first time I was there, I was talking about on, on the first show here that Don had made me cry every three nights, each of the three nights of that of that, right. and how yeah. I don't usually cry in public. So that really speaks to you know <laughs> how good he is at, at conjuring up emotion and and speaking to people and speaking to the heart. And uh, yeah, so I guess that's going to be a recurring theme here in Studio One A. Could be. Could I, be. I invite people in who are known for making people cry. Did not realize that. Uh, okay, so to kind of wrap up this part about workshops in general, and then we'll talk about deep travel, but I do have one question that's that's kind of a nice segue into talking about deep travel and then Morocco, your Morocco workshop. Why go overseas for a workshop? So I do a lot of my writing overseas. I like to go overseas to escape, to hide out where I don't know anyone, where I'm separated from my day-to-day life. So that aspect of it I get. But until recently, I didn't even realize that going overseas for workshops was so popular. So what are the benefits of going overseas for a workshop versus just doing one here at home, for example? Well, you know, in some ways, you've already touched on, on, on most of the, the benefits. I mean, for me, you know, A, who doesn't want to go away and, and travel in, a, you know, in, in exciting and interesting places? That we all part want, I get. We all want to do that. Yeah, right, so, right. so you want to do that. Can you, you're in a position where you want to continue working on your writing craft. And, well, you can do that at home. You can do that uh, taking workshops here. You can do it in many, many ways. But, you know, why not combine that, that interest with, uh, you know, a travel interest? And, right. and then, um, you know, the, the, I think the important, the important part of it is that you, when you're traveling, I mean, you know, we all try to do this at home. But when you're traveling, you're just much more open. You know, so you, true. you just so open true. up to the world and the experiences around you, the people you meet, um, the the food you're eating, the, the the whatever your beverage of choice is. It's different there than it is, you know, back home, and you you just really open up. I mean, I I, I try to remind myself when I'm here to be more open and to, to observe more and take in more. And you know, yeah. you're into day to day life, and you're just Always sort of traveling. running around. Yeah, so um, that I think is a is a really really uh, big benefit to doing a writer's workshop when you're traveling. I love um, that. It's a great yeah, point. Just yeah. a notion of being of being more open. And and also, you get away from the, the day-to-day distractions that we have at home. So what about the distractions? So I, I love what you just said. I think that's that's such a key part. And part of the thrill of traveling, part of why we travel, is because it... And we're not, not even necessarily aware of it, that we just enjoy that opening up that happens when we go someplace, particularly someplace new. And that would obviously translate so well to the writing. So I, I, I love that, that, that idea. 
But you just mentioned distractions. So that would be the, the potentially negative side for me of doing a, a travel workshop. Let's say we're gonna, you're going to hold a, a, uh, a workshop in Tajikistan, and I've never been to Tajikistan. Well, I'm going to have a really hard time not running off to the tombs and to see the architecture. And so how do you sort of find that balance? To Yeah, that is a good one. <laughs> That's, mm. I, I think about that a lot um, when we do these things because, you know, like you say, I mean, you want to be you want to be sitting up at night writing the the, the assignment for for today, or do you want to be off, in, you know, hanging out with the local people and and have gaining experience and building your experiences? Yeah, it's. That's where you have to really manage it. You don't want to overassign uh, in these writers' workshops traveling. You don't want to overassign so much work that people can't get out and um, and enjoy things. Yep. So uh, with deep travel, I, it looks to me like they keep a lot of open time on the on the agen- on the itinerary, and you know I I don't want to give assignments that that require. You know, just really intense work. And, you know, really, what I'm thinking about is is the kind of assignment that that you might be doing anyway, but maybe you'll do it a little more mindfully. If I'm suggesting you go do this, and here's yep. here's the work, the uh, the prompt or the assignment uh, uh, that we're going to do today, and you don't need to spend three hours doing it. Maybe you go out and you got 30 minutes of your day, and it could be part of it could be just exploring and seeing what you see and, and hearing what you hear and just jotting down notes. It might be, you know, one, one prompt might be come back with, you know, at least two or three pages full of, of notes that you took on details that, that meant something to you. Yep. So, um, yeah, managing, managing the assignments, I think, is the, is the biggest challenge. And inevitably, there will be people who come back and say, oh, Jesus, I just wasn't able to get that done because I was having so much fun. Right, right, right. Or I got lost. Right. So in that case, yeah, <laughs> which is, that's pretty inevitable as well. But that's also part of the fun, right? right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I try not to travel with a, ma- with a map. I mean, it depends largely where, where I am. Yeah. But say, for example, in Western European cities, you usually know that there's going to be a big square. You usually know that there's going to be a church in the middle and that all roads are going to kind of lead back. Now, again, other places, that's not necessarily the case, but... But yeah, I, I deliberately do kind of allow myself to get lost. Though within, you know, you always have a general idea of, of yeah. where you want to get back to. But that's right. when you make some of the most interesting discoveries, I think, right? Yeah, I, I remember wandering around Kathmandu more than once. I mean, on more than one trip where I would be just wandering around and I knew where I was. And I would come, would keep wandering and I'd end up at an intersection I had already gone through. And yeah, I thought, yeah, yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> where am I? Right. I mean, repeatedly, I'd, I'd turn right. around and I'd think I was one place and I'd be in another. Right, right. Goofy. And I, I think that that's that's one drawback to you know when i travel usually i don't even have a cell phone that works usually i don't even get um, cell coverage when i'm traveling and part of that is which means that i also don't have the gps and i don't know and again we kind of talked to this a little bit with with don and kimberly on the first episode but just this idea of um it forces me to kind of have more interactions with people i have to ask for directions and i have to maybe get lost once in a while and see some things i wouldn't have stumbled upon Mm -hmm. otherwise and uh, so I think that's kind of the kind of a negative side to some of the technology that at the same time I love. But um, but yeah, I think that getting lost is it's a, it's a, lost it's a, a different world with yeah. the technology we have now. I mean, yeah. but but that's a whole other subject. That's a whole other subject. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other episode. So hold that thought and we'll talk about that on another episode. Uh, so let's though let's talk about deep travel. Okay. And something you said a second ago makes me think maybe you haven't worked with them before. Is this I've your not, first? No, it's yeah. my first time. Okay. But I've known them for a long time. You've known them for a long time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so tell us then a little bit who and what is deep travel. Uh, well, deep travel 
is a small organization run by Christina Ammon and uh, Anna Elkins, and they live in a town called, I think, Jacksonville, Oregon. Okay. And it's just across the border, so it's almost uh, almost uh, Yreka, California. They're practically Californians. They're practically here, and they almost. come down here a lot. That's right. But they pay less taxes. Oh, they, I'm sure they a do. A lot less taxes. Because <laughs> isn't Oregon I, State without, I don't yeah, think they have no, a sales tax. Uh, well, I know Washington's no sales tax. Okay. Or no, right. no, oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Washington's no income tax. Oh, even better. Oregon is no sales tax? Okay, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I haven't, I'm been, not up sure. There, I haven't been up there enough. Uh, we'll anyway, research that afterwards. Christina and Anna... Um, started the, this business, I think, about five years ago. Okay. I, I could be wrong. Yep. But ultimately, their their main motivation was, as, as I understand it, to get the experience of a, of a culture and a place and a people as quickly as possible at multi-levels. So in, instead of needing to spend a month in a place to get to know it, how can we get to know the place in a week? And this kind of comes out of the whole issue of the distractions of everyday life, you know, the way we're so busy and, you know, we got to make rent, we got to make bills, we got to do this and that. Um, what they were looking for was, well, how, do, how, can I, how can I recreate the travel experience that I had when I was just a vagabond wandering the world and I didn't have any responsibilities right. with, okay, here I am now and, and you know, later in life, and well, they're, they're very young, but still later in life for them. Yeah. Um, how, do we, how do we do that? And uh, they began, and they're also writers, and uh, Anna is a, an ex, uh, extraordinary illustrator. She's a really, really wonderful artist. Um, and she writes as well. She's a good writer too. Um, but uh, they decided maybe one way to approach this was to get people who are in the habit of looking deeply into cultures, writers uh, and artists and photographers, and see about starting a little company that, that would take people to places that they love and have got to know. And by virtue of getting to know these places, they, they have friends there, they, they know the culture, uh, they know the places to go. They, they know uh, what's happening with the various literary uh, people and traditions and, and the art communities and probably music as well. So they, they get to know these places and starting these workshops was a way to bring people in who they knew would be attuned to having a deep experience. I don't think it was, uh, we're, let's start a tour company and take people and show them the sites. They don't, they don't do that. I mean, they do to some degree. They, they take people to prominent sites where where their workshops are being held but it's not set up like a sightseeing tour so if i could read quickly because i like how they say this in their philosophy yeah. so i looked at their philosophy page and just speaking to to the again that philosophy of, of what you were just describing so they say or they ask the question actually quote how can we shortcut deeply into a place and yet keep our travels rich and I, and I like how they say that because I think that they've nailed on the head the challenge that travelers right. face. Like you said, we're not, unless we're you just out of college and are doing the backpacking thing for a year, we don't necessarily have a lot of time. Um, but at the same time, real sort of travelers who aren't just dropping in and dropping out, we, we also want to have a, a rich experience. So again, I think they nailed on the head. I like, I like how they said that. And I like what you just got done describing about how they do it because it sounds to me what you're saying is they basically become insiders, they choose these places, and then they get to know these places so well that they're kind of getting you the insider's perspective. And I, we think know, I think that's right. Yeah, and we know yeah. that when, whenever you go someplace where you know someone, whether it's someone who's actually from there or someone who's just been living there for a year or two, then you get a different experience. And right. it sounds like they're sort of trying to maybe emulate that somewhat, which seems like a great approach. Yeah, I, I think I think they're doing that. And you know, as far as I know, they have three places where they're running their workshops, uh, in uh, Pokhara, in Nepal, 
in um, uh, Yalapa, uh, Mexico, and in uh, Morocco, and okay. Fez and uh, Moulay Idris. Okay, and then the other thing I'm going to add here is I was just look, cheating and looking at my notes. Another thing I liked that they said about how they do this yeah. is... We've concluded that the ideal sojourn is an elixir of camaraderie with independence, effort and relaxation, the exotic with the familiar, and structure with serendipity. So, Larry, you have your work cut out for you. <laughs> yeah. I, that's a mouthful, uh, but again, well, in see. theory, at least, I think they've nailed it on the head. If yeah. you can pull that off, they're going to have a very were, worthwhile were, experience. I, th- I think there were four couplets in there. They're, yes, they're, yeah, uh, exactly. If I can get half of each couplet. I'll <laughs> give you my notes afterwards. Okay, I'll give you my notes afterwards, right. and you can make sure that you're covering them all. Right, right. No, that's great. Um, Sounds like fun. I want to go on that uh, on that trip. Yeah, exactly. You should lead it, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and and going, you you also touched on this, but this is sort of the last part of their philosophy that I wanted to circle back on. They say, "quote Deep travel isn't a sightseeing tour," which right. you just mentioned. Yeah. And the goal of deep travel is to experience again, experience the place as fully as we can. So, given that the other big element of deep travel trip is the workshop component. Um, how does the writing help the participants experience? And I think you probably touched on this a little bit, but maybe we can explore this just a, a, a little bit more. Uh, how does the writing that's, that happens on these workshops, how does that specifically help with experiencing the place as fully as we can? Because it sounds like they're trying to bring those together, it, right? Uh, yeah, it, it, yes. And it's a, it's a really good question because, you know, I don't think it's quantifiable. Um, but it is, it is subjective. And uh, what people get, I think when they're they're writing in in a place like this they're being forced to to look a little closer and that might be uh looking closer at uh just the the environment that they're in or it might be looking at the interactions between people that they are so let's say observing interactions between and among people who who live there uh they might be focusing a little bit more as they have their own interactions on well what did I get from this? You know, mm-hmm. what sort of, I mean, yeah, I, we had we had a, an encounter in the in the marketplace, and I tried to buy you know a, a rug or or some fruit or whatever, and here's what happened. And um, as you write through the process of sort of looking at the experience that you had, that alone can deepen the experience. I mean, why do people why do people take uh, their journals with them when they when they're traveling? And why do they sit down, usually take a little time out, sit in a cafe, have a drink, coffee, beer, whatever, and write in their journals? Even people who don't ordinarily necessarily even keep Correct. a journal. No, right. exactly. Right. So there's yeah. something else there's, happening there. Yeah, yeah. They, and, and they know that they're having an experience that's worth documenting. And, um, you know, I say documenting, I don't want to leave out photography and video too, but um, we're talking more really specifically about writing at the moment. Uh, people know they're having experiences worth documenting, and they and for what reason? They want to document it to be able to tell their family about it. Do they want to post something on Instagram? Do they want to write a you know a, an article for a magazine or a newspaper? I mean, there are a lot of different reasons to be documenting the experience that you have. But back to your point about the writing, I, I think it's really that it, the, the writing helps you sort of put. It helps you imagine more about what the ex- the experience that you've had, and by imagining more what you've just experienced, you can actually circle back and understand more about what you what you did experience. Well, and I think what I also hear you saying, and maybe this is saying the same thing in just a slightly different way, but I think I hear you saying that the writing is just forcing you to be that much more present. Right. right. A second ago, yeah. we talked about the travel experience is helping you to open up. 
So right. that's one big yeah. advantage. But then it sounds as if the writing is sort of forcing you to be more present because if I'm having this exchange, buying the fruit or having the mint tea or whatever it mm -hmm. is that I might be doing, and I know I'm going to be writing about it later because Larry gave me an assignment and because I've decided I want to focus more on my writing or whatever mo my specific motivation might be, then I'm going to have to pay more attention if I'm planning on writing about it. And so by paying attention, I can't help but be drawn that much more into the experience. And then it kind of, it's a cycle that kind of feeds itself. And then hopefully you've won, you've written a Pulitzer winning article <laughs> as a result. Because that's part of your guarantee, right? right. Is that everyone yeah, who goes absolutely. on this wins an yep. award, yep. a big award, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Or well, at least a publishing deal. There you go. Right, right. But, what, but, but one comment on what you just said is, you know, not just in, in travel, but in anything, when you, when you write something down, it helps you log it in a different way in your brain. It works. It works with your your emotions and your and your your intellect to have it put a different spin on the experience that you had. So it's not just okay. We're traveling. We're writing about travel. But you know, if if you write down something that you want to remember that you just happened to 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 see or was something, uh, yeah, whatever it is, you wake up and write down your dreams or what have you. Write the act of writing help solidify and, and, and kind of embed that experience in your, in your psyche in a different way. And help you understand it better. Because exactly. a lot of times I find, because I've been journaling since I was in elementary school, and I find one of the big, the reasons I keep doing it is because that I find that, you know, I might think, oh, I, I understand whatever the, the thing might be. I understand right. what happened to me the day before that upset me or made me happy or whatever it is. I understand that. But maybe I'm still thinking about it and then I'll start writing about it and I'll realize, oh, wait, maybe I don't quite have the handle on this situation that I thought I did. Maybe I don't understand all the emotions that came up. Maybe mm -hmm. I don't understand the memories that are produced or the, the, what I need to do as a result, good or bad or whatever. So writing it down, in addition to embedding, it also helps you realize what you didn't know right. and to kind of get to the bottom of that, which yeah. is why I find it. So uh, a completely a bit of a tangent, but uh, I'm just curious. When you Do you journal? I do. It's safe to assume that you journal. Yeah. Do you do it on your computer or do you need a to, to, to do I, it by I, hand? I prefer a pen and... and That's what I figured. Yeah. yeah. Why'd you figure that? Well, because I just find, because it's in the spirit of what we're talking about and just really throwing ourselves into the experience and just there, there's more going on. Yeah. I just find, I mean, when I'm writing a novel or a story, it's just so much faster on the computer. So right. I, I usually still do it on the computer because I'm editing while I'm going yeah. and I'm just, yeah. I type so fast. But when it's when it's my journal and when it's more personal and I just find that there's a there's something that goes that much further with that tactile experience of the pen on paper. And um, I don't know. I just feel like that's, that there's still something there. There, there are people who can explain that the, yeah. the, the physiology behind it or, you know, whatever the word is. Right, uh, right. I, I can't explain it because I, I don't, uh, I'm not trained that way, but Darn it, I was hoping you would <laughs> shoot. I thought uh, you had all yeah, the answers. Well, that's I, why I brought you on today. Well, not you all told me you had all the answers. I know, but not on one show. You okay, got to save right. something for next right. time. Okay. All right. Good. I'm good. That, did you hear that? He mentioned it next time. So I think things must be going. Okay. Right. Right. No, but the, the whole notion of, of writing, you know, with, uh, with a pen uh, on paper, it, it does something different in the synapses in your brain than yep. typing does. And, yep. you know, I, I do all my actual writing. Uh, if I'm writing a, an essay or a story or, or what have you, I, I do all that on the computer. I don't write okay. freehand, yep. write a longhand. I know people who do. Yeah. Uh, I know really great writers who write longhand. Orhan Pamuk still writes his novels, yeah, freehand. Which yeah, I just—I mean, yeah. my hand hurts to even think about that. Yeah, exactly. I admire him for doing that. I think right. that's fantastic. But yeah, yeah, my hand hurts just thinking yeah. about it. Yeah. So anyway, interesting. The computer for actually working on stories and 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 such. But we are on the same page. Pun intended. It. 
Pun intended. <laughs> um, so it seems that uh, going back to deep travel here, um, because I want to make sure we cover all those issues or questions that I had. It seems that deep travel workshops, I'm assuming, are targeted at travel writers. But are there is there anyone else that would conceivably go or be drawn to a, a deep travel trip? Or is it really? No, that really is kind of their their target audience. Well, the travel writers. I, I would say it probably is their target audience, but I, I know that they are not exclusive in that sense. Right. Um, I mean, honestly, if you were a fiction writer, you could benefit from the, in, in many, in all of the same ways that a travel writer could benefit from taking a, a, a traveling workshop like this. Um, I mean, I, in some ways, writing fiction you could, could be even get more benefit from it because you get to imagine everything and take in all the details. Um, but you know, in the workshops that I do outside deep travel, um, I do all kinds of things. We work with fiction. We work with uh, straight nonfiction. We work with travel, with personal, with memoir. Um, you know, I have three write or two writing groups now that meet once a month, and and my people are all over the map in terms of what what we're working on, and it it's really fun because everybody you know it's not like everybody nobody gets stale with what we're doing right. because it's, right. it's great variety. Right. So in terms of deep travel, I you know I. I haven't asked Christina this, and I don't know enough about the trip the trips they've already done. Yep. But I can't imagine that they would say, "Uh, gee, you want to write? Uh, you know, not you know, no, I, not I travel. Forget it. Right? No, I, I highly <laughs> doubt that they would tell someone they can't attend a trip. Right? I was just trying to make sure that my understanding was correct. That they're probably more targeting travel writers. But I yeah, think maybe so. it's someone who's never written a travel writing article. Right. Then right. that's great. Sign yeah. up for the trip. I'm sure. Yeah. Um. So I just want to mention, you mentioned that they have a couple other workshops. Well, there's one coming up right before yours. In Spain. That I wanted I to forgot, mention. In Spain, mention Spain. In the Spain. same neighborhood. Yes. In the same neighborhood. Erin Byrne, who by chance has also put out a book about Morocco, an anthology she edited called Vignettes and Postcards from Morocco. And she's going to be leading a group, and she's calling the uh, the workshop In Search of Duende. And she's going to be leading that in Andalusia. And I think that ends like five days, something like five days before yours begins. So that's, that's in March as well. So if, um, although actually... Your workshop. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on now, and we talked about this beforehand when I first asked you if you if you would like to be on, was because this is a month out from, from right. your workshop. So yeah. I thought, well, this this will be great for me to get an excuse to have a conversation with you, but then hopefully it would also be good for you to get more people on the workshop. Sure. But I think I just saw on Facebook yesterday, didn't I see you only have one space well, left? Well, they, they've told me there's one left. Okay. And yeah. So you didn't need me after all. Uh, well, of course Shoot. I needed you. Okay. I, 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 needed, right, I needed to be here to spread the word okay, long good. term. That's right. Long no, term. Well, well, think yeah, bigger picture. What they right. told me is well, no, what they told me is there's there's room for one more. And I, I take it that if, you're, uh, tra- if you want to share a room or you're traveling as a couple, a partner, uh, they could take two. And if suddenly four people really wanted to come, I think that they could... Make it find happen, room. Perhaps. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I think they could, they could make room. What's the, the the limit, ideally, though, that you guys are... I, I think the limit is 10. 10. Yeah, yeah, so that sounds like a good size. That's yeah. not too yeah, big. Yeah, no, no, more, no fewer than four or five and, and no more than 10, I think. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more specifically about the Morocco workshop because we haven't done that. And... You know, when we were talking prior to the interview, you mentioned that you had never been to Morocco before. And I was just presumptuously assuming, since you're such a traveler, of course, that you had. And then thank God you wrote me and said, <laughs> by the way, I've never been. So if we're going to talk about Morocco, you might have to carry that part of the conversation. And it was very presumptuous of me to assume. Uh, but that makes the choice of Morocco even more interesting to me. And so, but before we talk about that, I did uh, go on Wikipedia and I found a few facts that I thought I'd throw out about Morocco. Um, like I said, I've been there a couple times, so I know a fair amount about it, but there's obviously, I mean, I've never done a lot of research on it. So I just 
thought for our listeners and for ourselves, and it's mm-hmm. your first time, and uh, just a few interesting facts, at least I thought they were interesting. Moroccan, the first Moroccan state was founded by Idris I in 788. So Morocco mm. has been around for quite a, a while, well over a thousand years. Now, Idris I, and I don't know if I'm saying that right, but he was the great, great, great grandson of the prophet Muhammad. Hmm. So I thought that was interesting too. The country has been ruled by a series of independent dynasties, reaching its zenith under the Almoravid and the Almohad, Almohad, yeah, I think I said that right, Almohad dynasty, which uh, spanned parts of Iberia and northwestern Africa. And of course, those dynasties were part of the groups commonly referred to as the Moors, and they ended up in Spain for 700 years. So we can thank them for the landmarks such as the Alhambra, the Mas Cathedral in Cordoba, and, and lots more. Morocco remained the only North African country to avoid Ottoman occupation. For those who don't already know, the Ottoman mm. Empire preceded the modern Turkish state, and its geographical reach was much, much more extensive than the modern-day Turkey. And I knew that it was North Africa. I didn't know that they never made it to Morocco. I'd never thought of them making it to Morocco, and that's that's probably why. But um, I just thought that was interesting. So all, mm. all the rest of North Africa was part of what today is the the descendant of the Ottoman Empire of Turkey. The Alawite, dy- Alawite dynasty, the current ruling dynasty, seized power in 1631. So the royal family, because uh, Morocco uh, Morocco is now a constitutional monarchy, but that family has been in power in that country since before the United States was a country. So that's just some interesting perspective there. (laughs) Very interesting perspective. More than 100 years before the United States even existed as a country. In 1912, and this I did know, but Morocco was divided into French and Spanish protectorates with an international zone in Tangier, and Morocco regained its independence in 1956. Moroccan culture, and again, I knew this, but I think a lot of people don't, just when I'm talking to people about Morocco. Moroccan culture is a blend of Arab, indigenous Berber, and the Berber are the people who inhabited North Africa before the arrival of the Arabs, and then Sub-Saharan, African, and European influences. So then the official languages are not only Arabic, but also Berber. And then there's also a Moroccan dialect of Arabic that's spoken in Morocco called Darija. And French is widely spoken. And I also know from my personal experience that was not something that was not mentioned in Wikipedia is that Spanish is spoken a lot in the north, which isn't surprising because Spain's right there. Basically, when I was in Morocco, say the top third people would speak to me, the northern third people would speak to me in Spanish, and then the bottom two thirds of the country, roughly, um, people would speak in French. And then the last thing that I did not know, and I was actually a little surprised to see this, Morocco has the fifth largest economy in Africa. So I hmm. found that interesting. So it sounds as if, I think I already know the answer to my next question. You didn't choose Morocco, Deep Travel did. Is that's that correct. fair? Yeah, yep. okay. that's correct. And, and so, one reason I wanted to do it was Because you hadn't been. Right, <laughs> exactly. Right, right, exactly. exactly. So I don't know if this is a question for you, though, or if it's really a question for Christina and... Tell me the other... Uh, Anna. And Anna. But do you know why they chose Morocco? Out of all the countries in the world, why does Morocco lend itself well to a writing workshop? And again, you didn't choose it, so maybe you can't speak yeah, to that. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because I don't have a good answer. Okay. So, you don't but, want to just bullshit? Oh, no, I'll come bullshit. Sure, I'm, I'm good at that. No, I, I think one reason is they had traveled there and loved the place. Okay. And that's also why they chose uh, Nepal, uh, yep. you know, Pokhara, the second city in Nepal. Because they travel there and love the place, and that's probably true with um, with Spain. Um, 
So I think know, that's a great reason. I mean, if yeah. they're, particularly given their philosophy, if they're trying to choose places that they want to get to heart, the, the heart of those places, yeah. then why not choose places yeah, that yeah, resonated and, and, with your yeah, heart? Yeah, right? exactly. Right? And, and it's it's uh, you know it's the horse before the cart. I mean, they 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 had been to these places, probably made relationships with people, knew the culture was fabulous and the food was great, and and the, you know the antiquities were amazing. You know, on and on and on. Yep. So. You know, they didn't have to think. Well, where should we have a writers' workshop? Uh, right. Let's it think of some place organically. Right. right. Yeah. We already know these places. We love these yeah. places. Well, I can tell you that I think Morocco is a great choice, and I know that um, it seems like Morocco sort of other other places. Other other. Um, I've heard of other writers going there specifically yeah. for this purpose. And of course, Morocco has the tradition, Paul Bowles, and 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 that whole that whole uh, literary tradition that that mm-hmm. took place during that period. But. Let's talk about because um, we're getting we're coming up on ten minutes and I still have so much I want to ask you. Okay. So I'm going to start talking really fast. No, <laughs> we'll just cover what we organically cover. But but I do want to cover uh, the itinerary. And you you mentioned a couple places you're going to go. Okay. But um, take us through the itinerary for the trip. Well, it's uh, as you say. It's I think it's a seven day trip. On day one, well, we meet. We first of all we meet in Fez. So everybody shows up in Fez and we have a, a dinner there. Uh, as a way to kick things off. And then uh, the first day is in Fez. We have workshops in the morning, and then we do some things in the afternoon and dinner again at night. We go out for a performance. And uh, the third day, we do our workshop in the morning, and then we head uh, off for Moulay Idris. And um, uh, we're three days in Moulay. Okay, and what is Moulay? Because I have not been there. Yeah, so it's a... Uh, it's a it's in a more up toward the Atlas Mountains, okay. uh, and it is a, um, a hill town. So it's uh, deep in the interior, and it's a much smaller city than uh, than many well, any other city you would have heard of, especially in Fez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a much more accessible place in terms of. Um, Size and and uh, and such, and, and probably uh, interacting with the locals. And yeah, well, uh, you, you're going to get that, you know, wherever you go. But pr- you know, probably a, a little less jaded, a little less hustling. That's and, my point. Yeah, that's my yeah, point. Yeah. Is that yeah, yeah, in the smaller places, yeah, you're going to you can't help but interact with locals wherever you are. But right. in a place that's so touristy, like Fez is, which yeah. Fez is amazing. I mean, it's completely worthwhile. But just to to this point. Um, they just see so many tourists, and it's like Fisherman's Wharf sometimes. And right. certainly, right? So, oh, yeah. Yeah. so going to some place, a smaller town like what you're describing, I would just think there's a little less. It's just the the rhythm's going to be a little slower, and that there's going to be a more opportunity for exchange. Yeah, exactly, versus, exactly. Yeah, and 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 we're two or three days in that uh, in that place, and little things we do apart from the workshop is uh, they there's going to be a. a day trip off to a uh, uh, Roman ruin from the third century BC. Uh, I don't think I'll pronounce it right. Vol- volubilis. Vol- volubilis. I mean, that's how I say it. Right, I'm, 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 it. I'm looking at the word and I, I thought, I think I can do this. Okay, volubilis. You got it. Volubilis. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we go there on day, on day four and then um, we, there's a couple of free, there's a lot of free time. Uh, there's an opportunity to go off to Meknes if anybody wants to do that. Um, and then on day, let's see, that's day five. We're doing the workshops the whole time. Every day we meet in the morning mm-hmm. and do two hours of uh, instruction. So that was the, my next question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the what's the daily sort of the daily daily routine will be two hours in the morning, um, all but one day. There's a, I think day six we we come back we go back to Fez and don't don't have a morning uh, meeting that time. But we do have, if anybody wants it, we have. Um, uh, private discussions with me just about issues that uh, that have come up for people uh, yeah in, from the writing in the writing workshop uh, mode so yeah so two hours in the morning for the workshop then we we go off and do fun things um 
we might in the evenings when depending on uh, what the schedule looks like we might gather again and and just talk about what we uh, what we experienced that day i know that uh, i think the last night they keep that open for people to share the writing that they've done uh, I think that's a really great thing to do. And, and in fact, I'm probably going to set up my, my daily workshop sessions so that people need to read a little bit each day, uh, contribute, you know, just to read to, to, the, yep. to the group what they've yep. written. Yep. And it won't be anything finished and polished. It'll just be, well, here, here's a vignette that, uh, that I whipped off. Uh, you know, it, I only gave you 20 minutes to do it. And so here's, here's, here's what I got. But I think that's a big part is it's so good for writers to read their, their, yeah. their things and just get used to doing that and then getting the feedback. And that's just it's kind of yeah. part, part and parcel of the, if you want to be a writer. Yeah. I and it's, it's and it's, it's a core component of, of writing workshops as we talked about. Yeah. yeah. And did you finish the itinerary? Uh, pretty close. Okay. Uh, okay. Day six, we come back to Fez and, uh, those more. That's the morning. You can people can talk to me independently if they want. The uh, free afternoon, we have a nice dinner that night. Then we have one more workshop day seven. Uh, in in uh, we're still in Fez, and that's the night where we um, have the readings. Have and the, readings. Yeah. You know, so I don't think I heard you mention, and maybe maybe this isn't um, this is no longer the case. But I saw that you were going to go to wine country. Is that? You're not um, familiar with that because I was just curious. Okay, it, maybe that's no longer on the itinerary. Well, but let me I, let me look. I haven't looked at it closely. Well, the reason enough. I bring that up is because you know Morocco is known for hash, but I had never heard of of the Moroccan wine country. No, so. they make they make wine out of hash. Oh, hash, <laughs> hash wine. I bet that's uh, no, good. That's a, that's a joke. I bet that's oh, good. Uh, well, that, well, that's a joke, but it's also uh, maybe a marketing opportunity. Yeah, well, a, a business opportunity. Right, right here in California. Yeah. <laughs> I, huh, we're going to have to work on that. We'll talk about that probably off uh, air. Let's see. I'm looking quickly to see if the wine t- wine tour is here. Um, if they if they mention it, it's probably there. Okay. But yeah, I don't, I I don't remember curious. now. I don't, anyway. Larry, I am so sorry to say... We have ended your itinerary, and we have also come to the end of this. And I had some really good questions I wanted to talk about in the next part, so you are going to just have okay, to come back. Okay, I'll, I'll come back. This was fun. Okay, Larry Haberger, I'm going to uh, let me throw out here again the uh, the information, Larry's multiple links here. So for the workshops, we have deeptravelworkshops.com, and that's where you can find out about Larry's Morocco workshop and also Aaron Burns' Andalusia workshop. Why not do both? Although if you're going to do Larry's, you've got to act quickly. Uh, I'm not sure about Erin's. I'm not sure where she is in filling up, but uh, check that out as well. And then to find out more about Larry specifically, you've got LarryHabiger.com. And uh, did you want to say can something? I, can I throw in one, one quick thing here? I, I mentioned early on the uh, the writer's retreat in, uh, in, in Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah, in Hawaii. That's coming up May 6th through 11. Great. It's called the Molu... <laughs> Mokulea Writer's Retreat. That's M-O-K-U-L-E... <laughs> IA Writers Retreat and just uh, look for campmokalea.com retreats. Okay. And, great. and it it's, it's an extraordinary experience. It's right on the water. It's really really wonderful. I have never been to Hawaii. Ah. Well, when I moved to San Francisco come to over this. Uh, maybe I should. <laughs> when I moved to San Francisco over 20 years ago, I thought, well, this is great because now I'm so much closer to Hawaii. I'll just end up going and instead I go lots of other places but it's on my list it's on my list Maybe well I'll do i understand that workshop. it's a yeah. big world it's a big world and okay i'm just going to throw out also the last url if you would like to uh, check into uh, all of the 140 plus books that larry has worked on in uh, through his traveler's tales publishers then you go to travelerstales.com larry thanks a lot again and uh, let's do this again soon let's do it thank all you right. very much it was thanks, really larry. fun